the Sunday Sermons Podcast. This is the second in a series called Fruit Salad. Last week I held up this pineapple. I don't know if you actually, it wasn't this one. Uh, by the way, I found this one in the atrium. Mine looked really, really sketchy. Somebody left this in the atrium. If this is yours, please come and take it after the sermon, okay? Because I, I need it. It looks way better than mine. But here's the thing. We talked about last week that um, a lot of times we try to get close to each other. We try to team up with other Christians, but our own prickliness and their prickliness keeps that from happening. If you miss that, I hope that you, you uh, saw that. I hope that you remember if you're here a couple of things. One is this. You can't fix or design relationships all at once. There's no easy button that you just do this and then there's a happily ever after with no more bumps in the road. Does everybody understand me? You hear this? You got that? Okay. It's a cycle. And the three things that are in that cycle, if we're Christians, if we're going to have a healthy relationship, there's three things we're going to do together if that relationship is healthy. See if you remember these. Pray, love, serve. Some of you were cheating. Some of you didn't even try, even with the cheat. Let's try this one more more time. Pray, love, serve. If we're constantly staying in touch with God, if we're loving him and loving others, if we are serving him and serving others together, if that's part of the relationship, that's part of the framework we're building our relationships on, that's the kind of rhythm that could actually work. That day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month, year after year, that could actually get us somewhere. Well, today, we got some grapes. You may like grapes. One of my favorites. I love those. We're going to be asking these questions today. What do we do when we can't make it on our own? What do we do when we face something that we just can't handle by ourselves? We need some help from God or from others. And if you do need help from other people, how do you find them? And how do you really connect with them? How do you live life in a bunch like this instead of all alone? Well, again, this may sound repetitive because it is. It's a cycle. It's one of the things that has to keep coming back. But one of the key secrets is that we serve together. It's important that you serve God alone. It's important that you serve other people alone. You serve your friends, your family, your spouse, whoever it is. It's important, but it's also important that we serve together. Could you say that out loud with me? We serve together. This is how we're designed. It's been part of God's design since the very beginning. Even before the fall, even before there was sin in the world, God had designed us to work and to work together. All the way back in Genesis 1, you can see God's design at play. Last day of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice the plural there. There's the Trinity involved. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It's nice to know God even loves creepy things, right? Sometimes I need to be reassured that myself. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
There's so much meaning, so much rich symbolism in the idea that he created us to fit together, to work together, to not be exactly the same, but to harmonize and to add value and to add different things as well as many of the same things and to team up with him. And just like we have God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, we got God and the man and the woman, and we've got God and you and me. God and the church and the world. This idea of this team is always there for God. In fact, even people who don't want to believe in God or for some reason they've been hurt or something's happened, they just refuse to believe in God. They're going to be drawn to this idea of we need to belong to something. We need to believe in something. Our favorite stories are the stories where people team up somehow. Throughout the centuries, the myths that people tell, they always had these elements of power that's beyond what you could have on your own. Power that super beings have and powers in teams. And these myths, uh, uh, nowadays when we use that word myth, we tend to say it like this. It's almost a synonym for lie. And we say, oh, that's just a myth. And what we're saying is that's really just not true. How many have ever heard that or said that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. But the, the classical idea of a myth is it's more like what we would say a parable or a fable. No, nobody really believes that there was actually a race between a turtle and a hare. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nobody really believes that ever happened. Nobody ever said, you know what? I wonder where that was. I wonder why animals don't talk anymore. But we all can hear the story of the race between the tortoise and the hare. And somehow that really deep down inside reminds us that slow and steady wins the race. At least most of the time. That's the concept of a myth. These ideas, these outlandish stories of gods on a mountain and all of that stuff that people have told throughout time. They're telling us not so much the truth, the literal truth, but they're reminding us of what's deeply true deep down inside. Does that make sense? That's the concept. And even our modern myths, like superheroes, for example, they're always going to be that they're going to have those elements. They're going to be a team where there's somebody who's a great leader. There's people on the team that are way more powerful, way more skilled, way more rich, way more a thousand things than the leader. But when they all work together, they can get stuff done that they couldn't get done alone. Does that sound familiar? I I love literature, I love reading, and some of my favorite books are written by some guys who teamed up into a group called The Inklings. Just now I'm reading a book called Bandersnatch, just just was introduced to that, it's an absolutely wonderful book, Um, but this is C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, and a whole bunch of other artists that you might have heard of. But what this book is about, I'm excited about it. I'm geeking out. You probably won't, but I think there's one story that might help you see why I'm liking it so much. Because what it is, they knew that the Inklings, this group of guys, had committed to get together at least once a week, usually twice a week, at a certain spot, to pray together, to talk together, and to work together. They bounced all their work off of each other, and they got honest feedback. So this book is about tracing how that feedback actually works. And here, here's just one example. Have you heard of Lord of the Rings? You know the Lord of the Rings? You know the hero is the, there's a, there's a hobbit named Frodo and there's a fellowship. Okay, good. Their first draft, 
that Tolkien had and bounced off his friends was just, the team was just hobbits. And there were three of them, and the lead character was Bingo the Hobbit. Now, I love Tolkien, but I would not have fallen in love with that book. But he, he asked them, and they've got letters in this book, the documentation of their, their talking back and forth and writing each other notes. And Tolkien says, listen, we don't need so much silly hobbit talk. Tell us the story. Take us on the adventure. And so Tolkien's next draft, you see this Frodo, and he's starting to join in with People like Sam, a new character, best character in the whole story, introduces Sam, and he just tells the story, and there's just a little bit of dialogue here and there, transforms the whole experience. Both of them are fantastic writers. Both of them could have done amazing things on their own, but part of why they did such amazing work was because they worked together. And week after week after week after week, they were honest with each other, and they held each other accountable, not just about their faith, but about how to get better at what they did. Are you tracking? Does this make sense? This is super exciting to me. Even if you don't like those stories as much as I do, I hope you get the idea. But even better than that, Tolkien led C.S. Lewis to the Lord. C.S. Lewis was actually an atheist when they first started this whole process. But as they would talk about these great stories and the myths and all the great legends and all these things that they all love to talk about, they finally were able to tell C.S. Lewis, look, you love all these things, these deep down truths. Why can't you see that that where it all came from is the true story in the Bible? The real God, the real God who sent his real son into the actual historical world. And thank God... C.S. Lewis finally understood that. Years later, he wrote this. Now, the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. My questions are somewhere a little bit misleading. None of us can make it on our own. What do you do when you make it on your own? I don't know. Whatever you do every day. Because we can't. We can survive on our own for a little bit. We can survive, but we can't thrive. We were designed to work together. You can get by on your own in certain situations. You can suck it up and deal with it a little bit. And you're probably way stronger than you think you are. Even if you don't have a really close friend right now. But I'm telling you, if you want to thrive, if you want to really get somewhere, you need to team up. How do you find the right people? Well, we're going to explore that the rest of this. But I'll tell you, you should find people that are going the direction you are. You should find people that are building their lives on the framework of Jesus Christ and his teachings. And when you all clump together, you're going to have a bunch that actually produces fruit that makes a difference in the world. Jesus himself, if anybody could have just done stuff on his own, Jesus could have, don't you think? As God in a human form. But Jesus never did. He did very, very, very few things on his own. And he constantly taught about relationship and constantly modeled it. Let's just zoom in. Matthew 15, story I hope is familiar. Uh, He's feeding 4,000 men plus all their families. Just watch. Watch the relationships going on here. Then Jesus called his disciples and he said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. 
And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Remember I said about it's relationships or cycles? Not too long before this, he'd fed 5,000 people. They should have been going, <laughs> oh, I see where this is going. Just tell us what to do. But no, they're going, where are we going to find food? What are we supposed to do? Because he's, he's letting them think it through. He's working with them. He's doing it in relationship. Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. Directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and fish and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and he, the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now this is Jesus. He helped speak the universe into place. He's about to take seven loaves and a few small fish and basically create it from scratch. Let's be honest. You know what I'm saying? He's just like, he didn't need to start with anything. Couldn't he have just gone, be fed, and everybody's got food right there. Don't you think? Or couldn't he have just said, don't be hungry anymore. Everybody's just satisfied and they move on with their day. He could have done so many things and he could have done it all by himself. But no, he chooses relationship. He chooses this tense moment where he says, everybody sit down. These guys are going to feed you. And there's no food yet. Just this little pile. And he goes, yeah, just pass it out. Can you imagine how scary that must have been for the disciples? But the disciples gave it to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. One of the authors that I really have gotten a lot of out of over the years is a guy named Juan Carlos Ortiz. He said this, the key to our growth, he was a very successful minister in Argentina for years and years and years. The key to our growth is that we delegate and empower people. Otherwise, the church is like an orphanage and the minister is the head of the orphanage. That sounds terrible to me. Does that sound terrible to you guys? You guys want to be part of the orphanage? Every day I say, hello, children. Here's your food for today. Here's your chores. And that's it. That sounds like torture. That's not cool. That's not how church is supposed to be. My job as a minister, as a leader, is to empower God's people to do God's work. That's always my dream, always what I'm trying to do. Again, the thing about grapes, it took me a long time to realize, but see this little thing right here? That's what Jesus calls a branch in John 15. I always pictured it's like this huge tree that grows and then these other things come out and these kind of like apples on the tree that kind of grow out. That's not how it works. Grapes can't grow unless you build the structure for them. There's a framework. That's why vineyards look so beautiful and they have these, these bars that take you different places and they're all in rows and they're all evenly spaced because the vines have to have something to grow around and grow around and then grow out. And they have to be able to support all the weight. 
and there's, it's daily care that you have to give this. And when it says, I, when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, it's not really a compliment. You see that? That's the branches. And every branch in me that does not produce fruit gets removed. It's pretty easy to do, actually. At least on a grape. Don't, don't mess with my theology. Don't, don't take me down that rabbit hole. But we're pretty, fri- we're pretty frail. We're pretty frail. And we have to have this support. And we have to find people that we can tell are being built and building their lives around the structure that we know we are being called to build our structure around. You can't just produce it on your own. You can't. Each little branch produces like one grape. Those little tiny branches, they've got to be connected to each other. We're designed to work together. Say this out loud if you would with me. If you don't know the word, just go for it anyway. I'll explain it in a second. We serve synergistically. Synergistically means we have synergy. Synergy is the phenomenon that happens when a team comes together and does more than they ever could do alone exponentially more. When you've got a really good ball team, a really good band, a really good, any group of people that works together and they produce something that is bigger than either person, any one of those people could have done on their own or even in another team. There's just something about how that team comes together and you're like, wow. Kind of like the the Bulls back in the day, the Chicago Bulls, you know what I'm talking about? The, uh, over and over when they kept winning and winning and winning. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's this ongoing Nurturing, ongoing fertilizing, ongoing intention by God Himself, and this connection to Jesus, but again, not just an individual connection to Jesus. Even these little little connections, they go to this and that connects to Jesus. Are, are you with me? Like it, we're all connected together. And, and when that happens, you get something that's way bigger than one grape could ever be. More beautiful, more perfect. It's, it's a bunch. It's cool. It's neat. All of that is included in this idea when Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This is a thing we do together. When you abide in Jesus, it's not a solo sport. It's a team sport. There's a solo aspect to it. Please don't hear me say that that's not important. It's a team sport though. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm telling you? The real treasure that the Inklings found and invested their lives in was this concept of meeting together faithfully and being really real, really honest, really intentional with each other. That's what changed things. That's what helped each one of them make such an impact on the world. That's what made their writing exponentially better. That's what took, I mean, if you read The Hobbit, he didn't really have a whole lot of help from the other guys on The Hobbit. It's a pretty good book. 
But the sequel, if the sequel was all about Bingo and his friends, I don't think we'd still be talking about it today. They helped each other reach the potential because they really worked together. C.S. Lewis later said, is there any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a good fire? What I owe to them, and he's talking about this specific little group of friends, what I owe to them is incalculable. He's talking about his relationships. He's talking about his career. He's talking about his faith. He's talking about everything. This group changed his life. And that's what groups do. That's what bad groups do. They change our lives. When we unite around all the other people who like to drink or all the other people who like to take drugs or all the other people who like to do whatever random other thing we think is fun at the time, we find some community, but that community takes us down a completely different road than anywhere close to where Jesus has some framework built. Are you with me? And we're drawn to those things because it looks a lot like it and it feels a lot like it. Even even things that aren't wrong or even harmful, but when we're really into sports, we're really into working on cars, we're really into art or watching movies or whatever else we might unite around. There's something wonderful and beautiful about that. Let's go. I love these friends and we're all kind of on the same page and we're doing life together and we're, there's something beautiful that happens there, but it pales in comparison to what happens when all of the grapes unite on the framework of Jesus Christ. And his teachings. And when that happens, we see what we were designed for. And we produce the fruit that we were designed to produce. And the world gets better. Here's the last big idea. Say it out loud with me, if you will. We serve sacrificially. That one hurts. Supposed to. That's what sacrifice means. But when we have a Christ-centered purpose-based, fully committed, unified group that's built around Jesus, it's going to cost us everything. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know what? This full life that Jesus was talking about is not a solo life. The full life Jesus was inviting us into is this living in a bunch that's connected to the vine, producing fruit together connected to the vine. That's part of what makes it a full life. And when the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy or anybody else comes to steal and kill and destroy, what they're trying to do is that. They're trying to separate us not only from Jesus, but from each other. And alone... You thought we were fragile before? Juan Carlos Ortiz said, for many years I thought of love as one of the virtues of the Christian life. And then I began to experience real love. And I found that it is not one of the virtues of the Christian life. Love is the Christian life. It is the oxygen There is no life without it. If you want to know what I mean by love, try and remember what I said all summer long or go back and listen to that, okay? There's a lot of ways to understand love. I don't have time to reteach that whole series. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. We're going to keep going before we do notice a couple things. He's offering to us the same kind of intimacy that he and his Father have. There's that Trinity thing going on again. But also, notice he doesn't say sheep singular. My one sheep is going to follow me and know me. He's talking about a flock. I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and so there will be one flock, one shepherd. There's one shepherd, one flock. That's a plural word, like a bunch of grapes or a crowd of people or a murderer of crows. That's, that's a cool one. That's the real name, if you didn't know that. I just like that one. One of Juan Carlos Ortiz's famous, most famous messages, he spoke at a big thing. It was actually hosted by Billy Graham, and there was a lot of people there, and uh, it, it got written down, passed around a lot. You, you may have already heard of this, but it was called the Mashed Potatoes Sermon. He used potatoes, kind of like I'm using fruit here, and he said, that when you have potatoes, they're all kind of like these just lumpy things. They don't really fit together, but you can put them all in a sack and now you've got a sack of potatoes, but they're not really connected. But then you could wash them and you could cut them all up and you could boil them. And then you'd have like a big pile of potatoes. And now they look a lot more alike and they're all kind of mixed together. But then he said this, it's not until they're boiled, mashed, and mixed all together that they really become one. And that is what God wants for us. No superstar standing up and saying, look what a big potato I am. But all of us mixed and blended together, one in Jesus Christ. As, as we prepare these messages way in advance, and there's this process we go through where we pray about, starts with, God, what do you want to say to us right now? What do you want us to do? And then we try to figure out how to say it and how to make that as memorable as possible. At one point, this whole series almost got called Mashed Potatoes because of this quote. The reason it didn't is because there's something about fruit salad that I don't want you to miss. We'll explore this much more, but I'm going to say it a little bit every time so you don't miss this, okay? Hear me on this. In fruit salad, you're, everything is mixed. You're not just a pineapple or a grape or a banana or whatever else anymore. You're part of a whole, but you're still adding a distinct flavor. There's a little, there's some, you, you know when you bit into the pineapple. You know when you bit into the grape. You know when you bit into the banana. Does that make sense? And that's God's design. It's not that we just all become exactly the same. He wants us to be as united as a pile of mashed potatoes. He wants us to be that connected. But we still bring the individual gifts and the individual expressions of the fruit of the Spirit. There's beauty in that. There's color in that. There's, there's purpose in that. Jesus said, again, my sheep, plural, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. As we wrap up today, I, I, I want you to know that every sermon we ever do here, every, every program, everything, in one way or another, there's intention in it. We're not just trying to help you fill your schedules even further, ever, okay? 
Every single time, there's always something like, Lord, I will at the bottom. I'd like you to look at the bottom of your thing right now. There's three choices I'd like you to prayerfully consider today. One is either join a group for the first time or if you were part of a group at some point, maybe you led it or maybe you were part of it, rejoin it or start leading it again or start one from scratch. We need a lot more. We need to be a whole church that looks like this, that looks like a vineyard. Are you talking about? Like we have a lot of great groups already here. These ones, these ones. And there are, we have a lot of people that scattered out. They're all building their lives on the same framework. But the design is this, 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 this for miles. We need so much more of that. I'll tell you some more at the end during the blessing, some very specific ones. But would you consider that this morning? Do you really want to reach your full potential? Do you? Do you want to experience what God designed you to do? Do you want to live this one shot at life in a way that actually accomplishes what God put you here to accomplish? Do you want to live life to the full? It's going to involve not just connecting to Jesus himself, but connecting this way. You need some people that hold you accountable, some people that love you, some people that support you, some people that comfort you when you're down and celebrate you when everything's going well and who walk through life with you and who don't just study God's word, but absolutely study God's word and help you apply it. And you serve together and you, you live together. You weep and cry. and The, the whole, yeah. If you're already part of this, Hallelujah. Get, get even better at it. If you're not, would you consider getting that way again or trying it out for the first time? That's what this group fair is about this next week. We still need several more leaders, several more groups to find. We, my prayer is literally that you do that. And the first step, of course, is giving your actual life to Jesus. You need to do that this morning. Never going to offer this last song, this last point where we stand up and I ask you to do something without at least offering that as a, as a possibility. If you feel led to give your life to Jesus today or make another public decision, please do so. If you want to pray with me, please come to the back. That'd be great. But I'm asking you, consider living life this way more than ever before. And however you need to do, whatever you need to do to get that, make that happen. Decide that this morning as we stand and sing.